0: This three-day retreat will stream live from Omega's Hudson Valley Campus, May 17th to 19th. Don't miss the party. Reserve your spot at eomega.org slash party today.
1: Thanks for joining us. This is Unity Online Radio. The voice of an awakening world.
2: Welcome to Truth Transforms. Join in for spiritually enlightening discussion and the practical application of new thought principles. Here's your host, Reverend Galen McDowell. Welcome to Truth Transforms. I'm your host, Galen McDowell. I'm the Executive Minister and Senior Assistant Minister at Christ Universal Temple, Chicago, Illinois, where the Reverend Dr. Derek B. Wells is the Senior Minister and the Reverend Dr. Johnny Coleman is the Founder. I'm in the midst of doing shows on Black Lives Matter, A New Thought Response for Justice. And today I have a world-renowned guest, a person who has been working in ministry, leading in ministry, uh, creating transformational change in ministry, a world-renowned singer and author, uh, the Bishop Carlton Pearson. How are you doing there, Bishop?
0: Hey Rick, I'm doing good today. Hey. Great to, to be on with you,
2: my dear friend. I, definitely, definitely. We go way, way back uh um times you know, when you were the interim minister at Christ Universal Temple and we've maintained, you know, our friendship and brotherhood throughout the years and you know, I cherish you as a friend. And, you know, I wanted to have this conversation with you be uh around, you know, not just the Black Lives Matter subject, but also of evangelical Christians, religious fundamentalism and uh, the new spirituality, because I just feel as though that you have a voice that that obviously always needs to be heard. You know, I know that, you know, it's kind of funny as I've been watching the news of late uh, with everything that's going on with, you know, pandemic, you know, Black Lives Matter and other issues in the world. It seems as though they have the, the the news has their go-to ministers now and many times the progressive voices aren't being heard like they used to be heard maybe even a few years ago um Mm -hmm. and you know and i think at this point people are looking for answers uh not necessarily not necessarily certainty but answers around just subjects to be able to think not in maybe a a fundamental this christian perspective but in the perspective that takes on this greater, wider worldview. So I want to start by talking about uh, uh, Bishop evangelical Christians and where we are and, and this would be white or and black because one of the things that I'm noticing in the conversation, this is just my perspective is is that there are things that are happening in the country uh, and people are following leaders in their, in their positions, that when I was growing up, under my sanctified grandmama, my grandmother was, Mm. grandma Emma was quite sanctified, would have never (laughs) you know, (laughs) playing the Mm. piano in the morning before I got up to go to school sanctified, singing his eyes on the sparrow sanctified. (laughs) Uh, (laughs) 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 That's
0: my roots, dude, that is my roots. Yeah.
2: (laughs) they are positions that They would have never supported. What do you feel as though is the reason why uh, we're seeing some inconsistencies in what previously sanctified Pentecostal Baptist fundamentalist Christians would follow and support versus now?
0: Well, first of all, modern Christianity in the Western world has gotten King James mixed up with King Jesus. Uh, The the whole brand of Christianity is the the thee-thou 16th century English model. And whatever King James said, we presume that to be the words and sentiments of King Jesus, which is not true. So we were taught Western Christianity evangelicalism by white slave owners, slave traders. It started in Britain first, and then it came to America. It started in Britain before there was an America before there was the United States, before there was the 13 colonies. So we, the, our roots in, in religion, when, when, when it comes to evangelical Christianity, are based in racism and thinking black people are cursed and that uh, we are the Cain and we're the Hamitic tribe that uh, received the curse of God and all that kind of stuff. It's a bunch of misinformation. So practice doesn't just make perfect, it tends to make permanent. So whether black or white, if you are evangelical, you have a bias about everything, starting with a superior attitude that we're above Jews and all other Gentiles who are evangelical wasps, white Anglo-Saxon Protestants, not Catholics, Protestants, Protestants. So we have a lot to sort through. We're dealing with about 2000 years of entrenched indoctrination. So it's hard to get that group to think other than the fact that we are the superior country. It's in God that we trust, but it's also in guns that we trust, because they don't make a difference between the two. More guns have been bought since Obama became president. 20 million in the first year, 200 million or more since, because there was a panic among white people, most of whom are fundamentalist evangelicals. Among unity, Unitarians, Episcopalians, some of the Presbyterians are more, the the non-Pentecostal and non-evangelical Christians are not as hyper or height about losing control of the culture. White evangelicals who believe it is their assignment to save the world through America and that we're the blessed country. So that's, and I held that mentality for many, many years because I was taught that from my fundamentalist project, primarily when I got came to ORU in 1971 and got around white evangelicals. That was the mentality. So we Christian black people have been into that and we have spread it into Africa and Indian Indian Asian around the world. They still have that same superior, not supremacy, just superiority. We are the chosen people, not the Jews. Christians are the chosen people. We know Jesus. We 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 own the keys to the kingdom. We decide who goes to heaven and hell. We literally own Jesus and the gospel. We have the Christian schools and Christian television. We dominate the world. We're the missionaries and blah blah blah. So there's a lot of arrogance, a lot of ignorance uh, in our movement, and um, I'm I'm my detractors hate me the most because of that, or dislike me the most because. The fact that I'm exposing some of the error, some of the lies, some of the mistruths and half-truths and untruths. It's time yeah. for truth to be, to be uh, for people to be aware of truth in what we call expanded consciousness.
2: Yes, yes. Now, I don't know if I ever told you, but I w- one day I was with you at a conference and a young black man came up to me. He, c- he was a college student. This is uh, 10 years ago. He was with his mm-hmm. buddy and he came to hear you speak at that conference. And he told me that uh, we sat down and ate lunch together. I just, you know, like, hey, what what are you doing here? You know, tell me a little bit about your backstory. And he said, I snuck to get here. I was like, what do you mean you snuck to get here? He's like, well, my parents don't know that I'm here. He might have been 19 or 20 years old. And I said, Mm -hmm. why? He said, well, Bishop Pearson is here. And he tells the truth. And (laughs) this is honest God. (laughs) This literally happened. He said, he tells the truth. And if my parents found out that I came here to hear him, they will put me out of the house. He said, I I have his book, um, The Gospel of uh, of Inclusion, inclusion. and uh, the second book, um, God is Not a Christian, Muslim, Jew, etc. And Mm -hmm. he said, I hide them under my bed because I can't chance my mother seeing the books. Mm
0: -hmm.
2: And it landed on me like, and you were so busy at the time, I probably meant to tell you and never told you, but it just landed yeah. that he said, he tells the truth. And because yeah. he tells the truth, my own family, the the mother who gave birth to me, the father who raised
0: me, we'll disown. We'll
2: disown would you. disown him. I was blown mm-hmm. away by that conversation, but, you know, but because just challenging a person to think causes that type of reaction. It's amazing to me. So, so when you are out speaking and obviously I don't know any minister who has been affected by teaching the truth and asking people to critically think more than you, Um, you know, what is it about the fundamentalist mindset? I know you, you delved in it a little bit, but what is it about this fundamentalist mindset that makes it so difficult to pierce it with just critical thinking and conversation?
0: Well, the whole tree of the knowledge of good and evil, God and evil, duality. We talk about unity, oneness, universalism, anything that smacks of that is intimidating to the dual consciousness of a God and a devil, which is two gods, Christians uh, more than Jews, believe and are allegiant to two images of God, a good one and a bad one. And they're very close uh, in power. One is both both are omnipresent. There's a devil in India, devil in Chicago, devil in Tulsa. I mean, they believe the devil is everywhere. They believe pretty much that the devil is all-knowing, uh, knows their thoughts or creates their thoughts. They believe that the devil is pretty much all-powerful because he pretty much, in their minds, controls the planet and that this cosmic warfare is going so it starts with that heaven and hell so you got to go to heaven or hell those are the ending mentalities and the ultimates for for that mentality anything in between is debatable but the bottom line is it's, it's holiness or hell that's what i was taught all my life that's what most evangelicals particularly black pentecostals believe it's holiness or hell you know follow peace with all men that's not as important and holiness, without which no man shall see the Lord. So they don't really follow peace with all men. They just the holiness, without which no man shall see the Lord. They separate, follow peace, because they don't have peace with nobody. <laughs> They're against everybody, everything. They're constantly. They believe in P I E S C E, peace and things, piecing it up, breaking it up, segregating, you know, dividing, uh, excluding. So it sends mixed signals, and I think there's a, a wave of global psychosis. I think there's that religious people tend to be mentally unhealthy anyway there's a mental illness and a sort of an insanity about uh, and superstition connected with religion anyway all religions so uh the 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 uh the staying thing for for evangelicals is well where are you going to spend eternity that's it you're either going to spend it with god in heaven or with the devil in hell that is something In fact, they will fight more for hell. I realized, uh, Jalen, after several years, I was basically a devil worshiper, unawaringly, deliberately, indeliberately. I never went to church or prayed without consciousness of rebuking the devil, binding the devil, evil spirits. I saw demons and everything because my mom and dad and their parents and their parents all saw demons and everything. Now, some of that's our African spiritism because Africans have believed in the the various uh, spirits uh, energies, whatever you want to call it. So that's ingrained in us too, good and evil, God and evil. And we can't get away from that. Now, fundamentalism seems to be the one that holds on most firmly, dictatorially, and dogmatically to a God and a devil, a heaven and a hell. And that—that that is, they base all their values, all their virtues, all their valor on that, it's either holiness or hell. That's, a, that's and, and the older people will, are now going to change. Now, younger people, I might add, Galen, among evangelicalism, and I'm talking with the top leaders of the youth movements, the young people are leaving by the hundreds of thousands. Uh-huh. They don't want to go to evangelical Christian schools anymore. Their parents want them. Their grandparents are scholarship. But they're, they're embarrassed, especially how the evangelicals have embraced the present administration. They're connected inextricably. And so they are the evangelical fundamentalist base that support the president administration. And it's a, a strong dichotomy and it's a strong uh, conflict in the culture and in the consciousness of the culture. And so the young people who have their heroes and they watch, you know, television, Instagram, and they're on their phones and they're into the cyber thing. They know that the bulk of the world popular vote uh, is against this present status, racism and misogyny and, uh, uh, um, xenophobia and all that kind of stuff so they're uh, ashamed to be associated with their churches and they're quietly clustering away and getting out so i was talking to one of the experts if i call his names many people might recognize it but he was saying these churches are calling him in to show them how to keep their kids because they're just losing them the kids are just not going they're not interested the way we were Mm-hmm. My generation and yours, getting we we went to church. We loved yeah. our grandmothers, and you know that played the piano in the morning. We re- recognized and respected all that, and are still carrying on some of it. But these younger people who are in, they're like aliens from another planet. They they yeah. look they live in the cloud. You know, iPhone, iPad, iCloud. They're they they're into their eyes, not the weeds. So they're right. in a different realm in a different world and parents and grandparents don't understand them. So there's a major shift in religious sensibilities that's occurring right now, planetarily. And,
2: and we're learning how to deal with it. Yeah. You know, it's just kind of funny. I remember, I won't say who, uh, she said it to, but, uh, you, obviously, you know, my daughter, Angel, very well. And when she was a little yeah. kid, uh, she was with one of her, uh, on the mother's side of the family, one of, uh, Relatives who she's close to, who you know has a religious fundamentalist background, and uh, she might have been, and I'm not exaggerating, eight or nine. And you know, Mm -hmm. growing up at Christ Universal Temple, having a radical person like me as a father being exposed to people mm. like you. She just said mm. <laughs> the, the person what? said to her something like, you know, Jesus is gonna come back and end the world and take everybody, you know, all the rapture talk. And she just checked the person, like nine years old. That's not happening. <laughs> That's not real. Uh, really? You know, just uh. and just and then explain why. Now she doesn't remember the conversation now, which is ironic, you know, she'll be twenty-one in September. But Mm-hmm. But I remember the conversation because when it came back to me, I had to sit down and explain to her, you know, when you're talking to people uh, that are much older than you as a child, they, t- they take that as disrespect. She didn't think it as disrespect. She she said, but dad, that's what you teach. Yeah. <laughs> and I'm wow. like, yes, it is. Yes, it is. <laughs> so she so she like, I'm just going to challenge it right in front of me and that was something that i wouldn't have imagined going to a a grandparent an aunt an uncle an older cousin that was much much older than me and challenging them on their religious view but i think that is the era that we are in right now they're not going for all of this nonsense they're
0: just not and they're profound and they're profoundly unapologetic about it they're not sheepish Right. They don't have the layers and layers of stuff to 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 remove off them like we do. They're not jaded, right? Uh, right. This is their fresh, raw, rare, rugged um, uh, belief, and they 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 just they're bold about it. Almost it seems arrogant, but really it's they're just confident. It's like this stuff makes no sense. I'm not into it. But you guys are crazy.
2: Yeah, yeah,
0: That's and the I, way they look at it,
2: you know, it's kind of funny. Um, I didn't realize this. I was reading somebody's article that was c- close in age to me, and and she wrote that she was and, and since I'm almost the same age she is, were the first generation of African Americans to be born outside of Jim Crow laws. And and I stopped and I thought about that. It's like, wait a wow. minute, wow. Uh, you know, so so anybody that was born, you know, you know. In the early, I was born early '70s. Uh, we're the literally the first version of the people who fought before me, my parents' generation, who were all born in Jim Crow. Anybody that's probably born pre-1968. By the time all the mm-hmm. laws, so '65 when the law, um, when when whatever law came through, it was. It's just interesting to say the least. Because as I'm thinking about that, it just I inherited a lot of stuff that when I came to Christ Universal Temple, and I just got exposed to new thought. But it wasn't just new thought. I got exposed to like Dr. Rocco Erico and the Aramaic studies. I got exposed to, uh, you know, mainline biblical scholarship. It wasn't that Johnny Coleman was just saying, okay, this is new thought and this is everything. She was saying, I'm going to bring the best thinkers to you. And then yeah. you can evaluate. So we know we had the Les Browns, we had the Dr. Dennis Kimbros, we had the, mm. um, you know, um, you know Eric Butterworths coming in. We had all of these folks. I think we might have a caller that's about to come on. And yeah, we do. So let me get this caller, a bit, But I didn't open it up yet. But um, I'm gonna take this call. Okay. Hello, Lou, Louis, Louis. Is this Louis?
1: Yes, this is Louis. How are you?
2: Oh well, how you doing there, Louis? Um, I I'm know you have that. a question or comment for Bishop, so please go right ahead.
1: Yeah, Bishop, I just wanted to say thank you so much. Um, you really helped change my my life. I was listening to a podcast you were on called Holy Heretics, and your mm-hmm. your conversation that you led about um looking at Adam and Eve in the garden, and you know Eve takes the fruit gives it to Adam, and they said their eyes were open, quote unquote, and they realized they were naked, so yeah. they go hide. God was looking for them. And then, you know, he says, you know, they said, what, where are you? They said, we were naked. So we hid Then God said, I told you you were naked. And you said, let me just reframe that for you. Who told you there was something wrong with you? Like who told you there was anything wrong. And that's just like that. Like, you know, like when, when you study Zen, they talk about this lightning experience that you have, where like this insight happens, like this moment of clarity, and I've had that twice mm-hmm. in my life. And one of them, I remember I was driving on the bridge to like getting off from Staten Island. And it was this idea of like, what is the sound of one hand clapping? And I remember thinking, it's just like, there is no sound. And it hit me. It was like, there is no sound. There is no difference between like the sound and the person hearing the mm-hmm. sound. So that the most basic level, mm-hmm. it's all just vibrations. And it's just, wow. everything is receiving wow. and receiver. And it was like this moment of clarity. Mm-hmm. I was, and I remember, because I remember it was powerful. Because I almost got into an accident. <laughs> like, ah, oh, my God. So, like, it, that stuck <laughs> with me. That it wasn't going anywhere. And, um, but then when you said that about, like, you know, there's, maybe there's nothing wrong with you, you know? And, like, and if you're an Enneagram person, as, like, I'm like, I'm a four in the Enneagram, and that's, like, the big thing for the four. There's something wrong with me. There's something off with me. And just be like, yeah. wow, maybe there's nothing wrong, you know? And it just really, like, it, it, made, it really created this whole, like, deconstructionist thing. Because at the time, I was, I was in a seminary before and I got kicked out of seminary for asking too many questions. I was in a monastery and I, and it took me, I I was at the point where I was just, I looked at everyone else. And I was just like, if I stay here, there are a lot of people here who are unhappy and they never had the courage to leave because someone put an expectation on them of staying, you know? And then I I didn't realize how powerful people's expectations are that they throw on us, you know? And we don't want to like, let them down. We want to be liked and loved and all this stuff. And, so me leaving and then me hearing that there's nothing wrong with me from you it's just like it just changed the whole course of of everything in my life so i just want to say thank you i want to really just thank you so much
0: wow buddy thank you thank you for your evidently evolving enlightenment and growth you're brilliant and you're one of the leaders that uh, have been enlightened and are to help bring light to other people it didn't just happen you're called and coded for this you're a new Thought leader, and I'm glad that you are aware of, of your your uh, perfection, which means your spiritual maturity. And that's there's a part of you that knows, and there's a part of you that believes. You believe only what you're taught and told. You know what you remember. Your cells and your soul have memory, and I believe in pre-incarnation. That before we got here, we knew we were coming, and knew why we were coming. And then when we got here, we forgot why we came, and then it's where we, that's where we got confused.
1: Um, yeah, yeah. You I think everybody is on the story with mission and permission. Mm-hmm. Yeah, absolutely. I think that? I think you know we get. We, I said no. I think we get stuck in this story, and we forget it's a story that we tell ourselves. You know, like yeah. like sometimes I, I I struggle with depression, and then. It's interesting because it's almost like this line of like, okay, how much of this is like something that's going on that might be may or may not be out of my control. How much of this is just a story that I tell myself, you know, like I'm very comfortable Mm -hmm. in this role, you know, (laughs) this is a role I've chosen for myself, whether I admit it or not, you know, and am I willing to let that go in terms of growth, you know? And I I listened to the conversation you were having with Galen and I was thinking of spiral dynamics. I'm like, I love spiral dynamics. And this whole idea of Mm what, what's happening right now with this group of people who are at this, it's like this blue level thinking of authority where there's like this truth in the world and everything is black and white. And there are leaders who follow up, who we follow and we're obedient to them and, you know, they have our best interests and all this stuff. And then Mm. it's like the only way to break out of that level of thinking is to either be like hurt by the system or to see the flaws of it. And so what's happening, I feel like kind of what's happening now is like, the people who are benefiting from it, it's very hard for them to get hurt by it. So unless we're able to mm-hmm. share stories of people who have been hurt by it and create a sense of empathy, other people might not be able to break out of that. My wife was telling me this amazing story. She saw of this woman who was out, I want to say like in Georgia and she had this uh, man come over to her house who was black and he was a plumber and she, you know, everything's going on. She just said, can you tell me a little bit about what it's like for you? And she's like, well, I'm a plumber. She's like, no, no, can you tell me what it's like for you? And this guy was like, oh, you want to have this conversation? She said, yeah. And so he was telling her all this stuff about how, like, he does not work after when it's dark because he's scared to go outside. And any time he gets mm. pulled over by the police in Georgia because he's driving this truck, they ask to see, yeah. obviously, you know, his li- license, insurance. But they also ask to see insurance. receipts to prove that he owns the van. They're asking yeah. for, like, back taxes as they pull him over for proof that he didn't steal this thing. You know, even like yesterday in Brooklyn, yesterday in Brooklyn, it was um, a cop's pulled this guy over, this you know, a black man, and he puts his hands out the window. Like, so you can see them very like He's leaning out the window, so his hands are away from, you know, like outside the car. And I was like, as a mm-hmm. Hispanic person, I'm a light-skinned Hispanic person, it never would have occurred wouldn't to me do that. that I needed to do that for my survival. Right. Yes, yes, you know? yes. And right. so like, I think the sharing of these stories are just so powerful that I'm hoping to like to create this empathy and like that's if you cannot be the person who goes through, at least you can hopefully hear the story of the person who goes through, and hope that's the way we can affect change in this whole mess that's going on. Yes, yes. See, that's the so,
0: whole. That's
1: the, I was going to say, Bishop. I
2: you. do have like one minute, so the, the response has to be like less than a minute before we go on break. Oh, I was going <laughs> to talk about Black Lives Matter,
0: but we'll we'll talk about that later.
2: Yeah, cause I just want to make sure. So, so Lewis. Be, is Lewis still there?
1: I'm still here. I'm yeah. still
2: here. Okay, so because of the, we're going to have to take a, a break. I'm going to have to, um I'm going to have to
0: disconnect the call. I'll let Bishop pick up. But on he the brought response. up a, a brilliant, he yeah. brought up a brilliant point, and we'll deal with it afterward. Thank you, Lewis. I mean that that last point. Let's talk about that when we come back. Oh, uh, good. And about the black man's experience or the black person's experience. Point, great point you made, uh Lewis. Great. Point. Thank Thanks you for calling. Thank buddy. you so much. Thank, Thank you. And, 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 and
2: Lewis is a new friend that I met uh, through going to conferences and whatever. And uh, I knew that he needed and needed to hear you and you needed to hear him because you really did change did. his life. You you really did. We proud. had lunch over how you changed his life uh, with one podcast. Oh, really? yes. <laughs> yes. So thank you, <laughs> Lewis. God bless you. Thank Love you. you thank you, brother. Thank, thank you.
1: you.
2: <laughs> so, so So we're going to take our break. And we'll be back shortly with Bishop Carlton Pearson. God bless.
1: Thanks for joining us. This is Unity Online Radio the voice of an awakening world.
0: Welcome back to
2: truth transforms with your host, Reverend Galen McDowell. Welcome back to truth transforms. I'm interviewing the world renowned Bishop Carlton Pearson, and we're going to jump right into where we left off But a bishop. Before we do that, can you let, um, my listeners and Lewis, who who just got off the phone, know how they can get in contact with you, You know, you, uh, you know, website, uh, who they need to contact as far as social media or anything of
0: that nature. Bishoppearson.com is the website. Uh, CDP, Carlton Demetrius Pearson, at bishoppearson.com is my email. CDP at bishoppearson.com. They can email me or go to Facebook Carlton D Pearson is my Facebook that has no limit on how many people can can join, and that 's what I do my my weekly um, uh, live streams on for all my and all my archives of lectures i 've given and talks. so i 'd love to hear from anybody and I always respond when I hear from people
2: beautiful, beautiful so uh Lewis brought up a great uh example of the black person's experience we were going to get into the black lives matter questions but i think his uh comments transition greatly into this conversation so yeah. where did you want to pick up as far as your response to his uh comments and questions
0: well he brought up the point that he would not as a fair-complected hispanic he would never think to automatically put his hands outside the window to to make sure the officer knew he didn't have a weapon that wouldn't even crossed his mind because they don't get shot and killed at the level or numbers that blacks do. Now, that's why black lives matter is such an important point. We know that all lives matter. Everybody knows that on the planet, any normal moral thinking person knows that all lives matter, but it's like being on a street Galen and all houses matter. But if one is being burglarized or vandalized or is on fire, then our attention turns to the house that is in jeopardy. The same thing would be with the emphasis on all black lives or that black lives matter. We're not saying that other lives don't matter, but if, all, if black lives don't matter, then all my lives don't matter. So we're saying one is being vandalized. One is being burglarized. One is being killed and shot dead in the street. So that life needs more attention. It's a hurting life. It's a life in jeopardy and 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 lewis basically brought that out by making that example this happened yesterday in brooklyn he's talking about the man black man sticking his hands out the window and that what the plumber said down in mississippi i don't want to go out at night because i'm automatically suspicioned because of my color that's what white people don't seem to understand is and i think they would if you if you know better you do better they don't know any better they don't have that consciousness they don't identified with 400 years. You talk about Jim Crow laws. I'm talking about Jim Crow legacies. The laws no longer exist, but the legacy, which they've handed down in consciousness, still persists in this country systemically and institutionally. In the police system, in the and po- the political system, we shouldn't be talking about lynching laws today. There, there shouldn't be discussion. You just stop them. You don't have to go through this major congressional process to break lynching laws this is wrong but right. now we're dealing with voting rights again we shouldn't have to be dealing with voting rights some people don't want to don't plan to win an election fairly right they just want to win so they're doing anything to win you know by any means necessary they don't care now lawmakers are actually becoming legitimate law breakers when i say legitimate they're legally breaking the law yes and and supporting thugs and criminals and people who have violated the law and protecting them and absolving them. And, and, uh, you know, it's, and that leaves the rest of the culture, particularly our young people to lose respect for authority or for laws. Police officers used to be one of the most respected professions on the planet. Second only maybe to school teachers. And now I have police officers who say, man, I want to get out of the business because nobody respects us anymore. They're all suspect us. Regardless yeah. of the race, even black police officers, black people look at black police officers and says, "What are you in the blue line issue? Are you? Do you? Because you see black officers abusing uh, uh, people too. Mm-hmm. I've yeah. seen black officers hit, hitting other black and white people. These guys get a badge and, and and some the dark shades and a cool cap and a gun on their side. They're legal." murderers, legalized murderers. And so the whole system needs to be deconstructed and reconstructed. Every police officer needs to be vetted because some of them have anger management issues. Some of them are causing alcoholics. They beat their own wives, not all of them, and maybe not even most of them, but too many of them do. And they cover for each other's uh, excesses. That's gotta change. It's too harmful. When we start disrespecting priests, prophets, police officers, politicians, presidents, that has broken down our democracy. when And I think that's what the Putins and the, probably the, the Chinese, they wanna make democracy look like a farce and a, and a fake and a phony. So we have now lost institu- respect for for, for for investigative processes, for media, for politicians, for law, that creates a kind of chaos that only enlightened people can address
2: fairly absolutely absolutely if you want to call in and ask bishop pearson a question you can call in at 816-251-3555 816-251-3555 it's important to to note uh bishop that this same conversation that you're having i don't know if you know this or not but uh my stepfather was actually a chicago police officer um uh, before her, really? my mother and um and uh, he divorced and, mm-hmm. you know, he was working on the west side of Chicago and he was consistently getting into it with his fellow police officers for their abuse issues. Uh, yeah. And, you know, he's he's a large African-American man. And, you know, uh, but he was very soft spoken. So he was mm-hmm. like, let's deal with people with some dignity and only turn to turn to something else if the moment required it. And you know, it was I. I could just remember him, you know, having conversations with me, uh, you know, when I was a kid, about just how difficult it was to deal with road cops because the system would support it. They, you know, you could report your partner and stuff wouldn't happen. And yeah. you know, it was it was interesting because I actually had this conversation with some some fellow people. They were talking about the no snitch rule with. Um, with the gang's violence in Chicago. And I said, Well, where did they learn that from? I said, Well, when when the police officer goes across the line, who's telling? When they violate the law, who's telling? So you can't go to the gangbanger and say, you need to tell when somebody's doing something that's out of order, but when when your one of your comrades do it, you won't follow yeah. the same rule. So it's yeah. it's and and so that creates its own thing. So when people say, well, you have a conversation because you're anti-police, I'm like, well, that's ridiculous. Black people love law and order, too. To think that they don't is another insult. The issue is, like anything else, do the job correctly. Do it with integrity. And if you do it in integrity, whether you're a politician, a police officer, a preacher, a lawyer, a doctor, or, um, you know, an accountant, if you do it in integrity, people will respect you. And when you don't,
0: you lose the respect. Point blank, imperial. period. Something that needs to be brought into consideration seriously throughout the entire country and culture is PTSD, post-traumatic stress disorder. The African-American community in this world, the Western world, more than any other part of the world, is suffering PTSD. So are white, poor people. All humans experience some aspects of it from the time we are traumatized from leaving our mother's womb and nine months of floating down the birth canal into bright lights and screaming and all that kind of stuff that happens when a child is born, which is a lot different sometimes in the way most people die. They die quietly, use in the hospital or sometimes at home, unless they're tragically and violently killed. That's when the coroner comes in. But there's a lot of, uh, and people don't take into consideration, we are hurt and angry and, we're, and we are exhausted as a culture. The black consciousness has been traumatized for hundreds of years in this country, as I made reference to not only Jim Crow laws, but Jim Crow, Crow legacy, pulling down Confederate statues and statutes laws or destroying the flag is very healing or it's treatment, if not healing, for Black people. We're not going to be healed for a while. We're just under treatment right now. And so we're being, we've we been traumatized by this culture, The the Black plumber that that Lewis referenced in Mississippi, and to the what he saw and heard on the news there in Brooklyn yesterday, that we stick our hands and we have to sit with our children, our sons, and I've talked to both of my children, particularly my son, about what happens when you are arrested. Do not resist. Uh, because you could be uh, killed. Aubrey there in, in, in Georgia, he resisted. They had no right to kill him. But they think they had uh, a reason to kill him. they just pulled out their guns and shot because he was resisting. Now his children have no father, so I'm not justifying th- that that they killed him at all. They they should not have, and they should be arrested and tried for it. But we have to learn because we're dealing with a very hostile, prejudiced, biased, racist culture and consciousness in this country, of elitism and and white. I, I'm more concerned about white superiority than white supremacy. The white supremist tend to be a smaller group, even though we have one, I think perhaps in the White House, that's just my own opinion. I'm not saying that's you or Unity or anybody else, you, I'm your guest, so mm-hmm. you don't have to own it. But I think we're dealing with issues of supremacy. A lot of rich people, black or white, have this attitude of supremacy because rich people tend to think they are blessed and the others are cursed. Uh, and, and white rich people tend, and I've been around them, they tend to think that white poor people have no excuse They're not black. They're not immigrants. They're not uh, discriminated against in the same way. They have the same right to be rich as others. They can go to college and school. It's a lot easier. And so they have a white poor people. The first time I ever heard the term white poor white trash was from a rich white person. The second time I heard it was from a rich white. The third time I heard it was from rich white people. I we black folks wouldn't use that term it even in our mind. Poor white trash. So uh, there's a great disparity in Kentucky where, where 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 Mitch McConnell is the senator for 24 years. They have a high rate of poverty among white people, not just like there are more white poor people in Kentucky than there are black poor people, but there are more white people in Kentucky than there are black. And so uh, there's this disparity. White people tend to look condescendingly and with judgment that we are the divine people favored by the gods or God. <laughs> And those people who are poor are not. Now, the scripture says all the trees or truths in the garden are good, if Lewis is still listening, except the one that says any of the other ones aren't. Right. <laughs> you know, the tree of the knowledge of good and evil demands two allegiances, two loyalties to good and evil, God and evil. So that dual mentality says they're the rich and the poor, they're the light and the dark. I mean, we, we, we can't get away from it. It's not. It's okay to make the distinctions, but when you make judgments as one is superior or inferior to the other one, that's when prejudice, to prejudge, that's all that means. You know what the biggest thing I'm wrestling with right now, Galen, as a as a right. black man of radical inclusion, I am prejudging nearly every white person I see who doesn't wear a mask, or in this in this red state, as being a Trump supporter, and they aren't all some. Sub- Trump supporters or conservatives, but you know we blacks have this attitude about Trump, and I just have to, that's just real, and so we think there's racism out there. So we're struggling with 45 or Agent Orange, or whatever you want to call it. But we are. Um, I'm 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 a little bit repented because I am not giving people a chance. I'm saying just because they're white, they're conservative, they're fundamentalist, they hate me because I'm black. I've never experienced that in my life. I'm 67 years old. But the tension in the country right now lends itself to bigotry and prejudices. Mm-hmm. That you can prejudge a black man as being a threat, moving to the other side of the street, automatically. But haven't you ever? Have you ever been sitting in your car, right, maybe somewhere in South Chicago, and you saw a group of kids coming? Of course, the South Chicago is going to be mostly black, and you just automatically hit the lock on your car. I've yeah, done that I've done many it. times. Yeah, I've yeah. done it. I'm now, not going to watch it. Yeah. Right, and I'm black and they black, and some of them are my nieces and nephews, but I've been it anyway. So uh, we all have prejudices, and as long as there are races, there's going to be racism. But there's a benign racism, and there's a malignant. The benign says, I won't harm you, but I may not help you. We don't need people to just be non-racist. We need them to be anti-racism. Mm-hmm. That's what I say to my white pastors and friends. Uh, we we don't want you to just not harm us. We need you to help us right now because we are the victims. Culturally, we're the big victims In uh, uh, you know collectively, there are many many exceptions to that, of course, but yes. there are mostly in general blacks, Hispanics, people of color. The big issue in America right now, particularly among white Christians, is we got to keep it controlled by white fundamentalist Christians. Because if right. all these immigrants come in here, we're going to become the minority. And they're literally panicking and having public breakdown because they, we can handle being, being the minority. We can even handle being told what to and what not to do. But white privileged people will say, oh, no, I'm white, Anglo-Saxon, Protestant. You don't tell me this is a free country. I'm not wearing that mask. I'm not going to do this. You don't tell me I'm free. Now, that yeah. arrogance has produced. Uh, even the governor of Oklahoma, right here, he just announced that he's positive for COVID nineteen. Now he went to the Trump rally here, would not wear a mask. All those people would not wear. We've they've they've connected at least five hundred COVID uh, 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 cases uh, uh, cases to that event. Yeah, he was there. Now he's now he's tested positive. This arrogance is that I'm white and in charge. You don't tell me what to do. That kind of arrogance is producing a lot more sickness and death in this country. Now that yes. sounds like a racist statement, and it might be, but it's a real statement. White arrogant, white superior mentalities is dangerous to the culture, dangerous to the country, dangerous to their own families.
2: So yeah, and it, we yeah. need to go ahead. Excuse me,
0: Bishop. Go ahead. No, I'm going to say
2: what, what what you're saying reminds me of when the president basically when, you know, the situation happened on the East Coast when the the marching was happening and the man drove his car and hit the the protesters and it was like, Well there's yeah, good people on both shot. sides in Charlotte. Yeah, That's yeah, where it was. Yeah. And then yeah, when yeah. we're in a situation where people in Michigan are showing up to the governor's mansion with machine guns. All these people just want to go back to work. They just wanted whatever. They're good yeah. people. But at the moment yeah. some some black people or
0: had to pull out so a
2: gun
0: and done about that. anything, you know.
2: You all know, they would have all been arrested. All but you know, all of Like showing up in Chicago, you know, with with machine guns. Like, no, you're not. Mm-hmm. Or anywhere. Mm-hmm. Like, mm, it, it, if nothing else, it wouldn't be viewed the same. Like, oh, it's good people. I get their point. No, this is this is a show of force, and it's a yeah. show of force in the name of Jesus, which is what you, you talked know? about earlier: Jesus and guns. It's like okay, when did Jesus become the the the, the mascot of of nationalistic aggression? It's amazing yeah. to
0: me. Yeah. I know. Yeah. I know. You know. So these so, people put race and control way ahead of religion or they make it the same. With many evangelicals, uh, Christians, Christian, white white evangelicals, racism and Christian nationalism are the same thing. Christianity is a very militant religion. If you go to one of the things that first stunned me in 1972 when I went to Europe, I went to our, the Canterbury Cathedral in Westminster, I noticed that it's it's a total a mausoleum to dead soldiers. They're buried in the ground and the walls are everywhere. Christianity was all about cruise aiding. Cruise is the Latin word for cross. The Crusades, we talked talk about a Crusade being a great revival to get people saved. But in, you go to to the Third World countries, or particularly to, to the Middle East, the Crusaders were Catholic soldiers full of vengeance and vice and violence that went to Jerusalem to protect it from the Muslims. And they bludgeoned them to death. Blood was running to, up to the ankles and knees of horses in Jerusalem. So Crusade is not a good thing to use a good phrase to use, I should say, because it's aiding the cross as if the cross needs assistance. So the cross is a symbol of violence to a lot of people and violation and vice and viciousness. It doesn't represent the Jesus of peace and love and radical inclusion. It represents religion that is angry and vicious and violent and that will kill and cut and disembowel and dismember and boil people and it's horrible. So the whole image has to be changed. And I think we're coming to a reconsideration of what we believe, why we believe it, and how those beliefs add to or subtract from the quality and quantity of our life experience. Yes, we need yes. to re- I'm, I'm, I'm done with old wine, old wine-olds, old wine-skins. <laughs> I meant to say old wine, old wine-skins, old wine-olds, and old winers. <laughs> <laughs> I, I don't want to repair the old wine skins. I think we're going to replace them with new thought, with new ways of thinking, with new ways of being. Uh, the 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 way the church manifested in the 20th century, Galen, it will not be allowed to manifest in the 21st century. It is coming to a slow but evident cease. It's it's coming to a close. We're coming into a quote unquote post Christian dominant era when Christianity as we've known it will not be the dominant influence. It is in the Western world. In in, in the Vatican, London, D.C., those cities are the only, one are only a few cities in the world that are not owned by their countries. They all have different uh, alignments and different assignments, and they're very powerful, and they've been in position for thousands of years, as far as the plan, hundreds and thousands of years. So we're dealing with spiritual wickedness, and high and hidden places. Mm-hmm. The rulers, not of the world, but as scripture says rulers of the darkness of this world. Darkness is a word for secrecy or, 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 or ambiguity or uh, um, opaqueness, obscurities. We don't know what's going on. We don't know. This whole COVID thing is both psychological and biological warfare. Corona and coroner. Coronas a lot were for crown, but Corona and the coroner, which is the one who doesn't kill, but investigates violent, sudden uh, unexpected death. There's a coroner present. There's a, there's a frightening energy in this country right now around death and dying. And it's really not death as much as it is dying, which is a part of the process of living. When somebody says, how are you doing? They're basically saying, how are you dying this morning? Oh, I'm dying pretty good. <laughs> so you're doing is dying. <laughs> I ain't dying so good. I got a cold. I ain't dying so good. I got the flu. I ain't dying. As good. So the words are very similar, but the, the, the concept behind them is if you're living, you are going through the transition that we call death. So that's why I say life is a sexually transmitted disease, disease that is incurable, not untreatable. And it's terminal because we go through the transition we call that so we're all in treatment we often use religion some people use drugs some people use food some people use money but we're all trying to treat and or manage the pain or pathos of the human experience so we go through any this whole idea of of the opioid excess that so many people are using painkillers well why is, you know pain is a symptom what's the right. source of the pain we're not dealing with where's all this pain coming from? Why are sleep medicines a multi billion dollar sleep aid? A multi billion dollar people don't know how to sleep. Uh, another billion dollar uh, a med is 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 uh, moisturizers for the eyes. It's like we can't cry anymore. We've lost our tears, and so yeah. people have to artificially find moisture. Eye drops. I use eye drops. I mean, it's like what in the world? Where am I? Where are my Tears? Am I having a struggle with? the, the normal bodily function of producing fluids. So we have a lot of critical issues in front of us today and they all need to be, we need to stop and say, okay, why are we where we are? What is going on? What is the source more than the symptoms? Most of the treatments today are symptomatic. What's happening in America from the white house to the dog house is a symptom, not a source. Yes. Yes. So we let me
2: to ask find you the this. source. This. So let me ask you this, yeah, Bishop, please. because uh, we got about two minutes left, and I, I do want to be present to that. Uh, I I know I need to have you come back uh, if you're available. I'll text you about possibly coming back in August because we got to finish this conversation because you're dropping so many gems. I don't even want to stop to ask you a question <laughs> because, because what I'm hearing you say is something you used to say to me all the time that people uh, people uh, say they're saved but they don't feel safe, safe. and right. you know so so you you, you go to this religion to, to you know as I say it this is my perspective you know, we only got a minute left uh, to to get. Certain, a certain level of certainty, but what they do is they tell you something's wrong with you, and then they tell you they have the only remedy. Which yeah. yeah. So they can't sell you the remedy without telling you that something's wrong with you first. And right. You know, it's so, you. right. So what I've been telling people as a new thought minister is there's something radically right about you. And I want to at least get Beautiful. to the place to where we have a conversation about the radical rightness of the human being. And mm, I would love if you wow. could come back because i think I think that's the conversation because I want to give you some context. I actually came up with that statement speaking with uh Reverend Lola Wright at a uh to university students downtown in Chicago a few years ago when they were asking me like, "Well, what do you teach? I teach that the human be- there's something radically right about the human being, and I can remember I the, that, the, 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 the the younger students the young students these are all college students will just pause like, "Wait a minute, radically right, yes." To me, that's the most important thing that New Thought teaches, that there's something radically radical. So, so wow. if, we, if, if you're willing, because we only have about 30 seconds left, to come back next month and let's just talk about the ra- something that's radically right and then give them the biblical support for it. Um,
0: I would love if you if you could do that. That would be great. Well, the easiest answer is what's radically right. About humanity is causing Bishop. All right, we'll talk about that later. <laughs> <right. laughs> so, so, Bishop, That's we my have. Radical <laughs> arrogance.
2: Yeah. So, we have 10 <laughs> seconds left. So, thank you so much, Bishop. Uh, this has been an absolute pleasure. I'll text you some dates. Let's get on this and let's help these people get these insights. God bless you. Yes, sir. And we'll be with you I next love week. Love you, I, I have
0: such respect for you, buddy. Let's stay in touch for sure.
2: Will do. Love you back. Take care. God bless. All right, buddy. Thank you for listening. This is Unity
0: Online Radio, the voice of an awakening world.
1: Hello, I'm Dr. Stephen Farber, and I am
0: an author, teacher, psychotherapist, and shamanic practitioner. On my podcast, Healing for Your Soul,